I'm Dr. Marsha, and this is The Break. So I became a psychologist because I wanted to be a forensic psychologist. I've always been fascinated by true crime, just love true crime stories. I think they're fascinating to, to talk about the person who, well, when I was little, it was always uh, serial killers. I was fascinated by talking about the person's childhood, their upbringing, their experiences when they were raised, how they got into committing crimes and how they ended up being responsible for taking many lives. So I wanted to do that. I wanted to be the person to talk to those people. I wanted to interview those people. I wanted to be face to face with those people because I always found it fascinating. I've, I've always been fascinated by what makes people tick, but I really wanted to know what made people choose to take the, the life of another person. So that's why I became a psychologist. And then my dream job was being a forensic psychologist. And that's something that I've been doing for um, a number of years now. And... I've recently come to the decision that I won't do forensics anymore. And that's been something for me this past week, actually the past, well, in all honesty, the past couple years, it's been something that I've been considering, but really the past few months have, have been what it took to get me to the place where I'm saying, okay, I'm finally ready to not do this anymore. Um, I keep a journal. I've kept a journal since I was in elementary school, but the oldest journal that I have now, because I have one journal that I remember I had, and I don't know what I did with it. And that was from, I think, fourth or fifth grade or something like that. But now the journals that I have are from, I have one or two from high school, and then I have the rest of the ones from college. Like I've kept those. And so I love looking back to see what I was doing X number of years ago, because I think it's always helped me to put things into perspective. Because I think that life throws all sorts of things at you. I don't have to tell anybody else that everybody knows that. And when we're in the thick of it, it feels like this is, you know, the biggest thing. And that sometimes if it's something that's very traumatic, or, you know, very upsetting, or very, you know, earth shattering, it feels like this will never pass. And it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to see that you'll get through this too, just like you've gotten through everything. But for me, it's been super helpful that I have a journal and that I can look back and I can see, for example, this time five years ago, what was I dealing with? What was I doing? What were the things that were at the forefront of my mind? You know, that kind of thing. And so I've been rethinking my work since 2018. But then I was going back through my journal because I've been, you know, hemming and hawing and one foot in, one foot out for a while. And then I started to feel like I was sort of spinning my wheels and not really moving forward. I was just kind of like staying in the same place and I was doing the work and there are some things that are rewarding about it, but then there are other things that are just a pain and that I wasn't interested in doing anymore. So I went back to one of my journals and I had you know, just looked at the things that I was thinking about and thinking that I was realizing that I've been thinking about doing this since 2018 and then looked at a journal entry that was from 2019. So almost three years ago now and realizing that I've been in this same place where I'm saying, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. And I haven't done anything to pull the trigger and get out of it. I've just come in kind of, you know, hemming and hawing and I have been doing less and less forensic work and doing more and more of the stuff that I love, but I didn't quite just say, all right, this is done, rip off the band-aid and do whatever. So I was reading over one of my journal entries that's from 2019, and I just wanted to share with you some of the things that I said that I'm kind of like, 
yeah, this is exactly how I feel. I felt this for a long time. Why haven't I done anything about it? So in one entry, I was just talking a little bit about what I don't like about my job, what I don't like about, you know, what I get pulled into, especially because doing family work and criminal work and all that stuff. So I, I said, quote, all the fighting and bad behavior occurs under the pretense of acting in the best interest of the child. Interestingly enough, the child always loses and usually ends up being hurt the most. The family court cases are interesting, but I don't like being pulled into warfare and nonsense by people with one, zero interest in resolving their issues, and two, zero insight into how their own behavior has played a role into getting them into their current situation. I also hate the long, drawn-out social investigation and guardian ad litem reports in family court. I could also do without the ridiculous amounts of documents that must be reviewed for each case, end quote. And then I go on to say some stuff, um... And then I talk about, uh, quote, I feel like I have no work-life balance. I work weekends, so I never really get a clean break in between each week. I also work nights. I feel like I'm always working. Sometimes I have to stay up through most of the night to finish a competency report. I rarely get to see my friends. I'm signed up to take jazz and tap classes, but many times I end up not being able to go because I have a work appointment or I just have too much work to do. I am frustrated by the lack of a steady paycheck from my job. It really is feast or famine, so I never know when, whether my next case is coming in, which makes it difficult to plan for the future. I can't plan things like paying off debt, when I can have my car painted, when I can leave certain independent contractor work. I also can't plan vacations, which doesn't help my poor work-life balance, end quote. So looking through all that stuff, you know, I'm, I'm a really big person on how much progress have I made where was I before and what have I done to change that now? So at this point, it's much better than it was back then because I'm not doing the paycheck to paycheck thing. I have like a steady income. I don't have to worry about, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. I've got student loans like I know a lot of us do. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about whether things are coming in. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'll get more cases. I know that I will. I know that they'll come in. I have a lot of work to do. Um, something interesting that I never anticipated that I I thought was just me, but the more I'm speaking to other professionals of color who are doing this kind of work, so in the forensic realm, whether that's mental health professionals, legal professionals, uh, medical professionals, whatever the case may be, I'm learning that this is not just me. And I thought it was just my experience, but that is not the case. I find that a lot of times, um, and then initially it felt like I was re like reapplying to be considered for each case. So there'd be a case and somebody would call and I, you know, they would have to say like, how much experience do you have in this or whatever? So I'd have to like, let them know, talk them to them a little about the case. And it was a lot of like almost selling yourself, but, but not really, but, but almost like that. And so that felt weird because I knew people that didn't have that problem, that once they did a case or did two cases and someone liked their work, they would automatically be called over and over again to do more cases and nobody ever questioned whether or not they were capable of doing the work. But I found myself doing case after case and even though people were you know, for some reason, shocked at how well I write reports and shocked at how well I testify on the witness stand, which I'm not sure why they had seen me before do it. So I'm not sure why every time everybody's like, oh, wow, it's almost like they expected it to be a fluke. Yeah, I saw you before and you were fantastic, but maybe that was a fluke and maybe you're really not able to do this. It was a weird kind of questioning 
whether or not I got to where I am because I deserve it or because of some fluke. It's the most bizarre thing. And it it happens all the time, but I only see it happening to me and people who look like me. And I'm not sure why that is. Anyway, initially, when I started doing this stuff, I was told, you know, people just have to get used to you. You're not, you're new around here. People aren't used to seeing you. So once they get used to seeing your face, once you prove yourself, you won't have to worry about people questioning you or questioning whether or not they should hire you on the case or whatever the case may be. So of course I was like, I will fix this. Worked hard to hone my skills and to become the best report writer I could be and to be really good on the witness stand and doing all those things. And initially you, in order to get cases, there's that, you know, reduction of fee. So I'm not charging the same rate as people who everybody knows and who everybody's referring cases to. And so you get a couple of those, you prove yourself and then you get, you know, the cases that are you're being paid what you're worth or you're being paid what you should be paid. You're being paid the going rate for this. But what I also noticed was that no matter how well I did, how many cases I got, how much I quote unquote proved myself to the you know powers that be, whether it's the court, whether it's people that you're working with, whatever the case may be, I still have a number of experiences where There are several judges and attorneys who will only refer me cases if they are low paying cases or if the litigants don't have very much money. So the idea is that because they don't have very much money, I will reduce the rate because for some reason I'm expected to work for less than my colleagues. And so it's been a very interesting thing where when I ask for a fair wage, there's all this this sort of pushback and not in the form of how could you charge that much, but in the form of, oh, well, these people can't pay that. So can you decrease your rate? And the thing is, I know for a fact that most of the people that I, that are my colleagues do not reduce their rates. Their rates are their rates. And if they are, whoever is, if you know, whatever, if they're unable to pay, they can't pay. That's the end. They're just not going to do the evaluation. But it's this kind of expectation that for some reason, I'll be more flexible with my rates and that's not okay. And there's also this expectation. There's this kind of weird thing that when I expect to be paid or when I say I stopped working because the retainer ran out or I didn't start the case because I haven't been paid yet. And by the way, just as a sort of uh, side note, Getting paid prior to actually starting the work is standard procedure in this field, in this kind of work. So it's not like I'm asking for something outlandish here and I'm doing something that's against what most people are doing. This is normal practice. There's this sort of sense of indignance, like we... What do you mean you didn't start because of money? Well, yeah, I didn't start the case because of money, because I don't work for free. This is my livelihood. So it it troubles me that there's an expectation that I would start working on a case for free. But if you ask any of the people, any of the players that are on the same level as I am, if they would start working on a case for free, no, they wouldn't. And they wouldn't even be asked to do that. So the fact that I'm asked to do that is really disturbing to me. And also there's sort of this view that if I stand up for myself and not even say, I mean, I'm not even, there's no combativeness in it. There's nothing. It's just like, unfortunately, I'm unable to do this uncompensated. 
And I do my fair share of giving back. So doing low bono cases, because I know that there are so many people out there that really need my services in terms of the psychological evaluations and in terms of like the custody work that don't have the resources to be able to afford someone like me. And I understand that. And I, I do like to give back and I do my fair share of low, you know, bono work in terms of taking some cases per year or whatever the case may be, but I can't do all low bono work. And so there's just this weird expectation that because I have empathy for others that I then should work for free or work for less than everyone else, which is weird. And that has been taxing to say the least, that the least, that part of the job. The other part of the job that's been taxing is dealing with so many personality disorders and some very severe personality disorders. And it's interesting because interacting with personality disorders, just like in a non-treatment setting or a non-treatment context, is very different from actually treating it. And I think that I'm less interested in dealing with it in terms of in a professional setting where you're interacting with people who are supposed to be fellow professionals or they're supposed to be, whether it's parents, whether it's professionals, whether it's colleagues, whoever it is, it's very difficult and very taxing to deal with all these different, it's not just different personalities, it's some personality disorders. And so that's been very taxing as well. It's not something I'm interested in doing. Um, I think the other part that was very difficult for me was just, you know, I think throughout this entire thing, I don't think, I know throughout this entire thing, I've always said, I want to help people. And that has been my thing, helping people. I want to make a difference. I want to impact people's lives. And I need to be in some kind of environment or some kind of setting where I feel like that's possible. But I think that because of all of the other factors and all the other like variables in play, that I'm not able to do that. I'm not able to be impactful. I'm not able to help as much as I'd like to. And I think that unfortunately, the kids that I'm helping, the kids that I'm working with, they are always losing in this. It's it's horrible what they're put through. And under the pretense of, oh, this is for my kids. This is for the best interest of my kids. I really want this to happen. When really it's about revenge. It's about winning. It's about destroying the opposite side. And I think that's really unfortunate, but I think that it's just an environment that doesn't quite jive with me, my temperament, my values, what I think are very important in life in general. So there's that part of it. There's this idea that I'd also like to help people who recognize a need for it in some capacity. And I also want to be paid what I'm worth. And I'm, I was a little hesitant before about actually saying that, like, I need to be paid for, paid my worth. I think that as mental health professionals, a lot of times, since we're in a helping profession and the whole idea is to help people to better their lives, there's some hesitance to say, yeah, and I want to be compensated for it too. I don't do this for free, but we don't do this for free. This this is our livelihood. And yeah, we have an interest in helping people and working to improve the lives of others. But we also have an interest of being compensated for our time, for our expertise, for our knowledge, and for that help. And so 
you know, before I was like, all right, well, it's fine. I'll take a, a lower paying whatever just because I can do some, I can do some good. I can help these people. And that's just no longer what I'm going to do. I'm not going to apologize for expecting to be compensated for what I'm doing, which is a very valuable service. And it is helping to improve the lives of others. We're coming out of a pandemic. This is the third calendar year of said pandemic. Many of us, I'd say most of us probably didn't even imagine in March of 2020, two, two years ago, that we would still in March of 2022 be dealing with this. I don't know about anybody else, but I expected this to be done at the end of 2020. I was like, all right, we'll figure it out. We'll go back to our lives, whatever. I had no idea that it was going to stretch on this long. So in this climate, when we're all dealing with things, we need mental health professionals more than ever. The demand far outweighs the supply. I can't tell you how like my caseload has just exploded and everybody is dealing with so much anxiety over health, over work, over family, over school, over just life in general. So we are absolutely needed. We're providing an excellent service to help people keep their mental health intact. So we should be compensated for it. There should not be this expectation of, well, if you really want to help people, you'll take a lower wage. Because the thing is, for many of the organizations that we find ourselves working for, if we're working for other organizations, they're compensated nicely and they're doing fine. They're the people, the powers that be within those organizations are making plenty of money and they are fairly compensated and they do not have the same concerns we do in terms of financial resources. So there should be no issue of, well, there isn't the, there isn't enough money. There aren't enough funds because that's nonsense. That's utter nonsense. So yeah, all that to say, there's been a lot that I've kind of gone through step by step to figure out that perhaps this forensic thing is not for me anymore. Not because of, I mean, part of it is because of certain things about the work that don't really sit well with my temperament and what I want to be doing with my time. I, I definitely am a person that likes to feel like her time is being used in a productive way or that I'm actually accomplishing something with my time. And I don't necessarily feel that anymore, but also just because due to a number of factors and I don't know what they are, there's an expectation that I work for less than a fair wage or that I work for, you know, free in certain cases or that I have different rules than people who do exactly what I do. And I know that I do what I do extremely well. So I'm not, it's not, and this is not a boast of any sort. It just is what it is. And so I know that it's not that because I've also seen people who don't know what they're doing and they're getting plenty of business. They have no idea what they're doing. They're saying crazy things in deposition and on the witness stand and just things that make no sense that are not in any way backed by science that any clinician forensic or otherwise worth his or her salt would be able to say that is ridiculous. It makes no sense. And it's actually harmful. People like that are still getting plenty of work just because of who they are. So I know that that is not the issue. But I also know that there's just this expectation for clinicians of color to work for less compensation, work longer hours. There's always this idea of we have to work that whole twice as hard, half as far, absolutely spot on. And so that's the way that it is. And that is my cue since this is something that I you know, was told over and over again. It just takes time. You just have to do this. You just have to do that. I've done all those things. 
And, you know, working twice as hard has made me even better. And it's given me more knowledge. And I like that. I am always in the pursuit of more knowledge. I'm always in pursuit of improving. I always want to be better. I know that there's always more to learn. I know that I can always improve no matter how much I know, no matter how good I get. I know there's always more to know and there's always better. There's always a step up and I'm all for that. That speaks my language 100%. I love it. But I also don't want to be working within a system that I know just isn't that isn't valuing me that I'm not getting anything from it aside from the experience and I feel like yeah if you want to get some experience when you're you know first out of school or you're first licensed or you're first doing something excellent you should and experience is always good I'm all for experience but I think that at some point you need to be compensated fairly you need to be compensated the same way that anyone else would be compensated the same way uh, a white male would be compensated the same way a white female would be compensated the same way anybody else would be compensated and unfortunately that isn't happening and there are all sorts of reasons why it's not but I'm just not interested in continuing to participate and that's fine like I have no issues with it I'm not sad about it I'm actually very relieved about it I feel incredibly fortunate that I am able to say you know what not doing that anymore I'm going to go and do something else so I'm super grateful that I'm in that position because I do recognize recognize that that's a privilege. I recognize that there are a number of people that aren't being compensated fairly for what they're doing. And they're probably doing things that are they're saving lives and they're, they're doing amazing work and they're doing great things and they're not being fairly compensated, but they're not in a place where they're able to say, all right, I'm done with that. I'm going on to this next thing. So I'm grateful that I can do that. I'm grateful that I was able to come to that decision. I'm grateful that I can sort of shift gears and turn towards something else down the road in five years. If I miss forensics, I can still do it. It's not like I will have no idea how to do it. I think it's also helpful that I started out in forensics and then I'm switching to a clinical focus because I think there are certain things that it's harder to shift from clinical to forensic than it would be from forensic to clinical. So that's it. That is the <laughs> the what's been happening this week and how I've been trying to keep my mental health and physical health and emotional health intact. It's just making these big decisions of what's next. When do I leave? When is it time to get out? And I'll use my f one of my favorite quotes. I, I love music. And so I quote songs all the time. And I just like quotes in general. But one quote that I always love and always think about is from The Gambler. It's a song that was made famous by Kenny Rogers. But one lyric goes, every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away and knowing what to keep. Because every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser. And the best that you can hope for is to die in your sleep. And so I love that lyric. I think it's very true. It's so important to know what needs to stay and what needs to go in order for you to not only survive, because I know that sometimes we feel like we're just staying afloat, but not only to survive, but to thrive and to lead a life that you feel like is the life that you want so that you're not just surviving in between moments of happiness or in between moments of, well, not moments of happiness, because I don't think life is about happiness. I don't think we always have to be happy because we're not always going to be happy. But I think that not just living, like trying to survive or feeling like you're drowning in between brief moments of 
um, satisfaction or brief moments of comfort. I think it's important to, you know, we only have one life. So not to hang on to things that are pretty much an albatross around your neck, just getting rid of those things, reevaluating every so often, just saying, you know what, this doesn't work for me anymore. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's not quitting. It's not doing anything. It's doing what's right for you. And I think that this is at this time, the best move for me. So that is it. That's what's going on this week. And thanks for listening. This is The Break. 